Welcome to the New Life Philly Podcast. Every week, we share fresh insights as we explore the inexhaustible depths of the Word of God. We pray that you will be encouraged and challenged today as we continue in our study. Let's join in now. Um, it was June 19th, 1865, when Major General Gordon Granger and the Union Army went into Galveston, Texas, and gathered the people of that town together, and General Granger read what was called General Order Number 3. At that time, there were about 250,000 enslaved people in the state of Texas. And this is a part of that general order that he read. The people are informed that in accordance with the proclamation from the executive of the United States, all slaves are free. This involves an absolute equality of personal rights and rights of property between former masters and slaves. And the connection heretofore existing between them become that between employer and hired laborer. Can you even begin to imagine being an enslaved person in Texas? The Emancipation Proclamation had been signed and had gone out two and a half years earlier, but it had never yet been spoken in Texas. It hadn't come to that place yet. And now two and a half years after uh, Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, those who were continuing to live in drudgery and bondage and slavery were now declared, you are free. My God. What a word. My God, what that must have been like. I, I can only imagine that they must have felt in some way like this is a, a, a messenger from heaven giving us this word of freedom generation after generation after generation living and dying in drudgery and in slavery. And now the word comes, you are set Free. You know, the people of Israel could relate to that kind of freedom because they had been a people that had lived in slavery for hundreds of years under the yoke of the Egyptians. But they had their own Juneteenth day. They call it the Exodus. Amen. They came out of the bondage of slavery. But I wonder that same good news that was heard by former slaves in Texas. What did that news sound like to the slave owners? How did they take that news? It was the greatest news that we could have ever hoped for, the greatest news we could ever hear, and yet to others, it was actually the worst news they could hear. This emancipation thing's about to mess up our economy. 
This emancipation thing that's going on is going to radically decrease my wealth, my power, my ability. This is not good news at all. Today, we're going to continue in our series in Mark, and we're going to look at Mark chapter 14, which is the story of Jesus anointing before his crucifixion. And we're going to see two radically different reactions to what is going on in that. Here's what I want you to see. Your reaction to Jesus and to his radical message of freedom and emancipation depends totally on how you understand your position of neediness before God. How good is the news of Jesus? The answer is, how needy are you? Perhaps the thing that cripples the church more than anything else is the self-satisfied sense that we pretty much have things together. We're not really that poor, that helpless, that needy. We're really not enslaved at all. And maybe we just need a little bit of a dose of Jesus every now and again. Maybe we'll come to church. Maybe we'll get it in Bible study and prayer meeting. But we're really not that needy. We're not that in that desperate place for Jesus. We're going to come back to that later. But for right now, let's stand together and read the word of the Lord together from Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to talk about the costly anointing. Mark chapter 14. Here we are starting at verse 1. Let's Read together. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, Reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. You always have with you and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. 
She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Let's pray. My title today is a costly anointing, a costly anointing. Let's pray. Father, on this day of celebration of fathers, on this day of celebration of freedom, Juneteenth, we pray that your spirit will be alive and at work among us even as we come before your holy word. Lord, touch your people. Speak to our hearts, our minds. Speak to all of us and draw us to yourself that you might be glorified in and through us to the praise and the glory of your great name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may be seated. A costly anointing, a costly anointing. There are four different stories of anointing in the four Gospels. Each Gospel writer has a story of anointing. Everyone who comments on these verses, everyone that's read them even a little bit, uh, knows that there are at least two distinct and different stories uh, of anointing. So it's certainly not one event, it's at least two. Some will say three. But first of all, the commentators agree that Luke chapter 7, the story of anointing there with, the Bible says, a sinful woman uh, is radically different from these other anointing stories. This is the story of the sinful woman. It's in the house of a Pharisee. It happens perhaps a year or two before the other anointing stories, and it happens in Galilee. It is a separate event. It's not the same event. We can see that clearly reading the scriptures. Another one of the anointing stories is in uh John chapter 12, and it's similar in some ways to the stories that are in Matthew and Mark, but in other ways, it's different. For one, the story in John chapter 12, it names the woman who anoints. That is Mary, the mother of, uh, not the mother, but the sister of Lazarus and, and Martha. Now, could she have also been the one in Mark and Matthew's story? She could be, but in those stories, not named. But the, the other thing that leads me to believe and, and some commentators to believe that there are actually three anointing stories and not two is that in Mark, is that in John's gospel, this happens before Jesus' triumphal entry into the city. It gives a time frame and then we see a different time frame and a different place in Mark and in Matthew. And so it looks very possible that there's actually 
three anointings, Matthew 26 and Mark 14, record what looks like the same story. Interestingly, David also had three anointings. David was anointed first in 1 Samuel 16, 13 by Saul in front of his family, in front of his other brothers and his father. He was anointed as a teenager. But then there's two other anointings of David that happened much later in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and in 2 Samuel, Samuel chapter 5 by the men of Judah in Hebron in chapter 2 and then by all the elders of Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 5 when he is 30 years old. So there's one anointing that takes place early and two that take place much later as he's anointed to the kingship of Israel. Jesus is similar in having these three anointings. But really what I want to take time to do today is walk through this story of Jesus anointing. Just walk through this with you verse by verse. So let's, let's go into the word of God. Scripture says this. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. This is giving a different time frame than John's time frame, which was six days before the festival. And there were, it was only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. So the backdrop of what's about to happen is the highest leaders in the greatest positions of power among the Jewish people are scheming. They're plotting to arrest Jesus and to kill Jesus. But verse 2 says that they don't want to do it during the festival or the people may riot. Now, here's what's going on. In Jerusalem, at the time of the Passover feast, people from all over Israel are flocking into Jerusalem. Jerusalem probably has five to ten times its normal population going on at this festival time. So if you can just imagine the, the throng of people coming into the city, there's folks everywhere from the northernmost reaches of Palestine and from the south and from the east and the west. People are flocking to Jerusalem for this festival and there's a great deal of fear among the leaders that if we were to uh, arrest Jesus in, in a way that the people saw it, they just might riot. They might just lose their natural minds. Can you imagine? I just, just want to imagine it this way. Philadelphia, if every man, every woman, and every child in New York City said, let's go down to Philly today. And they all come to Philadelphia. Now let's stay for about seven or eight days and just hang out in Philly. Can you imagine the, the chaos that would be Philadelphia in that, in that event? Yesterday, my wife and I went to a Juneteenth event on Germantown Avenue. They've had it there for years and years. And we just hung out there a little bit. But then at one point, we're in the middle of Germantown Avenue in 
Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and now I see these goats walking and I'm like, Jesus, help me. What is going on in this place? And there is actually a nonprofit that uh, has goats called, uh, I forget what it's called, Goats in Tow. Goats in Tow is a nonprofit. But imagine not only everyone in New York coming, but everyone coming with their goat. This is a chaotic and a crazy time. And the leaders who are plotting to kill Jesus want to make sure that it's done in a way that doesn't cause a riot. That's the background. Then we move into verse three. Verse three says, while he was in Bethany, reclining at the table of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. What a beautiful and powerful picture. This tells us where it happens. It says this happens in the home of Simon the leper. He, Simon is still going by his name, Simon the leper, and he doesn't seem to mind. I remember uh, when I was young, some of y'all may know that I got a little Irish in me, um, 50% Irish. And with my light Irish skin, I could probably look out the window here. If I looked out the window long enough, even though I'm in the shade inside, I would get a sunburn. My skin just burns like that. And so uh, I used to get sunburns all the time. And my family would call me Larry the Lobster. Amen. I didn't like that too much because I was red as a lobster. I looked like a lobster. But and when I was, you know, if you had mumps when you're young, you could be Tim uh, the, the Mumpster. I don't know what you'd be. But but Simon still goes by Simon the leper. Why, why did he say, I used to have leprosy? He'd been healed. He'd been touched. He'd been changed. But he still goes by. And the, and the evangelist Mark, when he writes the story down, still says, Simon, the leper. He goes by that. He remembers that because he remembers his state of absolute and total neediness. And Jesus is the one who changed it all. Wherever you've been, whatever you've been through, don't forget it. Don't forget what God has done for you in your life. It's in the home of Simon the leper that Jesus is anointed. He spent all that time in the temple. He wasn't anointed in the temple. He spent a lot of time with chief priests and with Pharisees and with Sanhedrin and with leaders. He wasn't anointed by any of those leaders. He was anointed by a woman. In fact, on three different occasions, Jesus is anointed. And unlike David, on every occasion, he's anointed by women. This formerly leprous man's house and in the house and by a woman. I need you to see this. While the powerful 
men of high position are scheming to kill Jesus. This woman with no position, no name given, is scheming as well. But she's scheming to bless Jesus. She's scheming to anoint Jesus. Let's look at verse 3 again. It says that she comes with an alabaster jar. It says a very expensive perfume, pure nard. Why does it make a big deal out of this? Because nard, pure nard, was an extremely expensive spice. In fact, it was gotten from India and Tibet and parts of China high in the Himalayan mountains. That's where they would have to go to get this pure nard. Often nard was watered down by other spices. And so you, you cut it a little bit so it wouldn't be as potent. But this says that she got the good stuff. Amen. She got the best stuff. She got the expensive stuff. Pure nard. We're going to see a little bit more about that. But look what she does. The Bible says she breaks the jar and she pours it out. She breaks the jar and she pours it out. Next week, as we go on reading in Mark, we're going to look at the Last Supper. And these same Ideas are expressed by Jesus as he talks about what's about to happen on the other side of this event. He's about to have his body broken and his blood poured out. This woman breaks the most precious thing that she has, her life savings. The Bible says in verse 4, it's worth over a year's worth of wages. She's been saving this up. This didn't happen by mistake. And she pours it out. She breaks it and pours it out on Jesus. It's all worth it. There's a complaint in verse 4 that this, that this is a waste, they say. It's, it's a waste. Her offering, her anointing is not a waste. Jesus' body is about to be broken. As precious as this pure nard is, it can't compare to the body and the blood of Christ being poured out for his church. They look at this and they say it's a waste. Brothers and sisters, when you live your life with a willingness to be broken and a willingness to have your life poured out for Christ, it's never a waste. It is not a waste. When we live our lives protecting everything about them, that is often what becomes the waste. We live a life like this woman, broken and poured out. That is not a waste. Look at verse 4 and 5. The scripture says, some of those present were saying, indignantly to one another. Why this waste of perfume? 
Could have been sold for more than a year's wages. In the Greek, it says 300 denarii. Denarii was what a working labor would make in one day. 300 days worth of labor in that little alabaster jar is poured out on Jesus. It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. The Bible says they rebuked her harshly. They rebuked her harshly. That the word therefore rebuking her harshly is a word that can be used to talk about the snort or the roar of an angry horse. The, the noise of a horse that has been somehow made angry and mad. Caring for the poor was a central part of Judaism. And it was something that was customarily done during uh, holy days. And here the holy days are coming and she pours this out on Jesus and they are now outraged. That is what this word means. They were absolutely outraged that this expensive perfume is being wasted on Jesus. How could you do that is the question. I want you to think for a moment of the anger and rage that you felt first time you saw the video of George Floyd's life being taken from him. Think of the anger and rage when you hear about mass murders in schools or shopping centers or churches. That is the kind of anger and rage that these People around Jesus, disciples no doubt, are feeling when the perfume, the costly thing, is wasted on Jesus. Somebody needs to help me right now. They're they're outraged. How could you waste it on Jesus? It's worth so much more. And they say, This could have been given to the poor. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Verse six. Verse six, Jesus speaks up. He says, leave her alone. Jesus said, get off of her right now. Look, we all know Peter is the big mouth disciple of big mouth disciples. Peter doesn't say a word. Peter gets quiet right now. He's like, yeah, maybe they're right. Looks like it might be a waste. The sons of thunder, James and John, the sons of thunder become the sons of quietness. They're they're outraged at other things. Lord, bring down fire from heaven. But right now, when they pour out this oil on Jesus, they get real quiet. The sons of silence. And Jesus says, again in verse 6, Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. There's a term that's used there, a phrase that's used there for beautiful thing. It it is 
a good work. She's done a good work. That was a technical Jewish term of something that should be done in these seasons, whether almsgiving, which was a good work, or whether anointing a dead body, which was a good work. And Jesus says, she's done a good work for me. This is a worthy thing that she's doing. And then Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. Now, if anyone would dare to take that scripture and say, see, Jesus doesn't care all that much about poor folk then you are not reading the same Bible that I have in front of me right now. Amen. That, that if you can say that that has nothing to do with the good news of the gospel, then you're not reading the Old Testament prophets. You're not reading the law of Leviticus or Deuteronomy. You're not reading the book of Proverbs. You're not hearing the four gospels. You're not hearing Paul or James or Peter, other, other writers of the New Testament. You're missing it altogether. In Jesus' ministry right here in Mark's gospel, a few chapters earlier, he tells a rich young man, sell everything you have and do what? Give it to the poor and then come follow me. This same story of this anointing is written in Matthew's gospel in chapter 26, right before chapter 26. Guess what chapter comes in Matthew's gospel? Chapter 25, you got it. We have a brilliant group here today. And in chapter 25, at the end of, of, of Matthew's gospel, Jesus makes something real clear. He says, if you don't care for the least of these, you don't care for me. When you've missed the prisoner, when you've missed the hungry, when you've missed the thirsty, you have missed me. And he separates the sheep from the goats in those verses. If you miss them, he says, you have missed me. Verse eight. I love this verse. Jesus said she did what she could do. She did. She did what she could. Literally, that verse says, what she had, she gave. What she had, she gave. What does that mean? She gave everything she had. It means that she didn't hold back anything that she had. All that she had, she gave. This wasn't an emotional act on the spur of the moment by this woman, but it was a planned, plotted, and schemed act to bless Jesus and to give her life to him, her life savings, all that she had accumulated, to pour it out on Jesus Christ because it's not a waste and he is worth it. Here's the truth that we have to consider ourselves today. Could the legacy of your life be written like verse eight? What she had, she gave. What he had, 
He gave all of it for the Lord. Would our legacies be written that way? Or is Jesus for you? A savior who does some good things for you, but because you live by grace, you don't have to concern yourself too much with doing much for him because it's all covered by the blood. Anyway, we can talk like Christians sometimes get real Christian. It's all by grace. It's covered by the blood. And so I don't live with this manifestation of a desire to bless God with all that I have. God is calling us through this woman, through this anointing to see that everything that we have belongs to God. Now, hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that this means that we have to be perfect in everything that we ever do as we walk with God, because if we have to do that, we'll all mess it up before we leave this room. Amen. You probably mess it up between one sentence and the next. We're we're not going to get it right all the time. That's legalism. That's another gospel. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is living every part of your life on purpose for Jesus. Jesus is not just a Sunday God. (laughs) He's not just a Bible study time God. He's not. I'm in my prayer closet. This is for Jesus But he's not only an on-time God, yes, he is, but he's an all-time God. Amen? It all belongs to him. With this woman, Jesus is the center of her thoughts, of her heart. And for us, it's a call that Jesus shows up in the day-to-day, even the mundane things of our lives. For all of us, I know, That's easy to say, but sometimes that's hard to live out. Can somebody say amen to that? There's a lot of things going on in this world. I know you probably haven't noticed. But there's wars around the world. Ukraine, we prayed about. Ethiopia, Yemen, Myanmar. There are wars in different parts of our world. There's political strife, the hearings that are going on in uh, Congress right now about uh, January 6th, there is inflation that is making a lot of people, especially those on the edge, struggle. I don't know if you've noticed, but gas prices have gone up a little bit in the last month or two. Amen. I've noticed that on top of that, on top of what's going on in the world and the gun violence and all these things, there are things going on in your life. Some of you in your bodies, some of you have things going on in your family. Some of you have things going on in relationships. Some of you have things going on with finances. There are all kinds of things going on that are difficult and hard and that press in on you and I in every way. But here's the thing. Centering your life on Jesus doesn't make those things go away. It doesn't mean that you don't grieve. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle. But it does mean that in the midst of your grieving, in the midst of your struggling, in the midst of your joys, in the midst of your achievements, in your lack or in your prosperity, you center everything in your life on giving glory to Jesus Christ. 
That's what this means. He's the center that alone occupies that part of your mind and your heart and your emotional world that's reserved for him alone. Let it be said of you what she had, she gave. What he had, he gave. This unnamed woman lives out the epitome of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We look in these verses, verse 10. We know Judas Iscariot by name. We know the chief priests and we know uh, uh, the, the scribes by their titles. Her, all we get is woman. No title. No name. No position. No power. Seemingly no importance in this world. But look what verse 9 says. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. This nameless woman without power, without position. He said, wherever the gospel goes, people are going to talk about this woman right here. It's going to go out. Brothers and sisters, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. You, you can't outlove God. You can't sacrifice so much that God can't bless you. What am I saying when I say that? This is what I'm saying. Every investment that you make in honoring God, every time your heart is broken as you sacrifice for God, Every time you feel overwhelmed as you are called to love and to care for others with the help of the Holy Spirit, all of it is an investment that God sees and that God honors. God honors the pouring out of your life for him, even if the world never sees it even if no one in the world ever acknowledges it. We see these two groups. We see those scheming to kill and take away life. And we see this woman. She's hidden in her heart, this love for Jesus Christ. We see uh, not only the woman, but we see Simon the leper in his house, inviting Jesus in. Call me a leper if you want, but Jesus is with me. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Here's the question, two questions I want to leave you with today. Number one, have you ceased being captivated by Jesus? Or is it just the same old, same old? Yeah, I come to church and I do some Christian things. Is it just to put it in Seinfeld language, yada, 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 life? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know what to do. I know how to do it. Are you captivated by the reality of the amazing love of God for you in Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, we need to be those who are captivated by that love. Second and last question today, 
Will you be a hoarder? Or will you be a pourer? God, God has given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you material things. He's given all kind of stuff. And the question that we have to ask ourselves over and over again is, will I be a hoarder of these blessings or will I be willing to pour it out all, to pour all of it out on Jesus and say, this is no waste at all. I will pour it all out for him. Amen. I want us to stand for a minute here and I want to have a time. We're going to play a song. If we can start playing that song a little bit, you know this song. Many of you do at least from CC Winans, which speaks of a woman. I think it conflates the story in Luke 7 and the story in John 12, but it talks about this woman pouring out everything for Jesus. And my prayer for us as the people of God, as the church of Christ here at New Life, is that we will be a people ready to pour out our lives for him. So I'm going to ask Pastor Tim, and I'm going to ask Pam to come up. And as we listen to this song, I, I just ask you to take an inventory of your own life before God. Where are you at? Have you ceased being captivated by Jesus? Will you be a hoarder or will you be a poorer? So you can close your eyes and just see where you're at before the Lord. We hope that you've been blessed today by the preaching of God's word. Join us every week for fresh insights on the New Life Philly podcast. If you would like to reach out to our church for more information or if there's some way we can pray for you, please visit newlifephilly.net or email newlife at newlifephilly.net. May the Lord richly bless you this week.